you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to find Revelation 21. You know, um, working with young people for many years, I run into a lot of them who just can't wait to get out of Roxborough. And, um, and at least I kind of understand that. I mean, like, if you want to be a marine biologist, you're not looking around here saying, I'm going to do that here. You know, or if you're going to, if you say, no matter how much I love the town, if you want to work for NASA, there's no NASA station here, right? And uh, from the outside looking in, it seems like there's nothing to do. Um, uh, to a lot of people it does. I, or maybe I should say from the inside looking inside, it doesn't seem like a lot to do. But I just wasn't one of those kids, right? We didn't even have a movie theater or a bowling alley when I was a teenager here. I, I actually didn't think about I want to get away from Roxborough. That wasn't what was on my mind. But what had happened was I, I really loved to read. And I would read novels, fiction novels. Uh, I, I, loved, I know this sounds nerdy. I love to read encyclopedias. And uh, I, I would read about places and once that place was in my mind, if I had any sort of interest, it's like it created a restlessness in me, not to run away from where I was, but to go see that for myself. I'll never forget, my friend Billy Summers was trying to urge some people to consider going on a short-term mission trip, and he said, listen, we can go there and tell you about it, but you need to smell it. And that phrase always stuck with me. You know, in other words, it's something more experiential about going. Well, I would read these books, and uh, I was a big fan of a guy named Louis L'Amour. And Louis L'Amour loved the American West, and in his Westerns, he would describe these places. And my family will tell you, we've been to some of them places because it has planted in my spirit since I was a young man. Like, I didn't rest. I drove for hours one time until we reached where four states intersect. I just want to be able to say I stood in four states because I read about it in a novel, you know, Four Corners. Or here's another idea, you know, there's, uh, not that I recommend watching this movie, but uh, maybe, maybe you have cable and it, you caught it on TBS sometime or something. Maybe you saw the movie Joe Dirt. Anybody seen that movie? Uh, wow, it's a surprise the age range. Carson is Joe Dirt. <laughs> right? But Joe Dirt wanted to go to this place in the movie, Silvertown. And he had never been there. What made Joe Dirt want to go to Silvertown? It was the way he heard other people describe it. A longing was put in Joe Dirt's heart for a place he'd never been because it sounded like the place he needed to be. So whether, so whether you, you, you know, you're just sick of life, <laughs> sick of Roxborough, or maybe... You just get a vision for heaven. I pray that God will plant in your heart some fresh desire for the place you most belong. One more quick story I'll never forget. <clears throat> I was in South Korea, and uh, one of my favorite holidays is, is Thanksgiving. Growing up, we always had these big gatherings. I have a very big family, and there would be these, you know, there would be, the guys would all go out hunting, you know, and, and there were so many people hunting. I didn't want to go hunting with so many people hunting. And I would, what it represented to me is I would get control of the TV for a few hours. Seriously, I just, I'm like, you go away, I'll watch TV. And, uh, and, I, and I loved it. I loved it. And then we'd all get together and we'd eat and it'd be crazy. And, 
and uh, my family storytelling is a high premium, and so there'd be a lot of lying and storytelling, and it was fun. And uh, so I remember my first Thanksgiving where I was even away from America, it was so weird. We went to, went to the mess hall, you know, and there was that kind of, I, I call it TV dinner turkey. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's good, actually. It's really thin, and you got that kind of light gravy, and, 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 uh, and uh, one guy said, this is just like home. And, and that caught me. I was like, this is just like home. <laughs> I was like, you, you know, you need to come eat to my family one day. And, and he's like, what's that like? And so I, I started describing to him what, what, what Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and those times in our family was like. And turns out uh, he was an orphan. And, he, and, and the guy almost cried. He was from Cleveland, Ohio, very tough guy from the streets of Cleveland. And he says, that's the thing I've always wanted. You know, that's the thing I've always wanted. You know, eternity's in your heart. Did you know that? And you wouldn't have a desire for something that doesn't exist. And God has put a desire for eternity in us. And tonight, we just get a almost a, well, we're tempted to see it as just a sort of machine-clear view of heaven. And I've been praying that it will cultivate in all of us a deeper sense of longing. Bit of a long passage, but worth the read. And I'll try to temper myself after having been away from you guys for a few days. Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse number 9. Um, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away into, into the Spirit, in the Spirit, excuse me, in the Spirit, to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes and of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the apostles of the, of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which was also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the ten chrysoprase, chrysoprase excuse me, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a what? Where'd they get this pearl from? Wow. 
and the street of the city was pure gold. Isn't this a strange phrase? Like transparent glass. See-through gold. Hmm. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. Hallelujah. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and, uh, and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Father, as we open this book, open it to us. God, delight our heart in visions of heaven, and where it defies human description, give us heavenly insight. Cultivate us in us a true desire for our truest home. And give us a longing to see your face. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Well, obviously, if you read a passage so long and so beautiful, there could be a million things to say. Trust me, I'll leave a lot of it on the table. I hope to delight your hearts with a few thoughts. First is this. There's a dichotomy that needs to be recognized here. The dichotomy is represented in cities and women and the faithful. And what do we mean by dichotomy? A, a, a dichotomy, as you all already know, is a division or a contrast between two things that absolutely seem to not go together, to be opposed now, you say, where in the world did this joker get this? Go back and look at verse number 9. I want you to notice with me, if you will, the angel sent to, to invite him to view the bride. Do you notice this angel? This angel that comes is the angel who had the, 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 the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. Now, what could this mean? It's, it's really simple what this means, right? This, this is this angel that has this seventh bowl. It goes back to Revelation 16. And this is the seventh bowl that destroyed Babylon itself. And it's showing you there's a great dichotomy here. There's a huge difference between the worldly and the heavenly. There's a huge difference between that which is godly and that which is not. And so this angel who had been commissioned to pour out this bowl of wrath on Babylon is showing this city is so much different. This city is so much different than Babylon. The residents that enjoy this city are so much different than the residents that enjoy that city of Babylon. And God uses this angel to show this dichotomy. Now, some would argue that, new, that the New Jerusalem is not even a literal place, that it's all the grand metaphor. Well, literal or not, it is to show us a dichotomy. I don't even feel the need to argue that or to prove one side or the other. Is it literal? Is it metaphorical? 
I think when we listen to John talk, we should remember, my brother was seeing this stuff and did not know how to come back and talk to us about it. <laughs> I mean, that's why I slowed down and pointed out a phrase to you guys, gold that you can see through. He is seeing something that man's vocabulary does not have the language for. I, I, I'm just urging the church, don't get hung up in whether this is literal. If you believe it's literal, I believe it's literal. Cool. If you don't believe it's literal, cool. What is it really showing us? There is a huge contrast between the things of God and the things that sin and evil have affected. Huge contrast. And what's more important in this case is to see the dichotomies. The bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb, she has been covered in his blood, cleansed by his holiness. She has been washed by the washing of his word. She is a different sort of girl than the prostitutes of Babylon. What is the difference? The difference is not that she was a good girl. The difference is she's held by a good God. The church needs to remember this. This angel, this angel has one of the seven bowls and and I, I, drew, I genuinely believe he's referring back to the destruction of Babylon. And it's this angel who says, come and I'll show you the bride. The bowl of the wrath has been poured out. This bowl isn't for her. This bowl isn't for the bride of the lamb. Wonder is for the bride of the lamb. Amazement, beauty, cleansing, holiness is for the bride of the lamb. And this angel is just as amazed as John would have been. How do I know that? Because Ephesians 2. <laughs> In Ephesians 2 and 3, it tells us angels, this is a Tim Bose paraphrase, angels' minds are blown by what God has done with his church. The angels didn't even see that thing coming. What a surprise that the same kind of people that would make up Babylon also make up the bride of the Lamb. What's the difference? The difference is the cleansing. The difference is the covering. The difference is a consecration. So this angel says, come and see. Well, I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, this is a dichotomy that God would want his church to see today. There's a difference in the people of God. There's a difference in the, in the places of God. There are, there's a difference in the purposes of God. And I think we who are in these last days need to take up the book of the Revelation, and we need to see that this God who would say, I'll put the goats on one hand and the sheep on the one hand, he thinks in dichotomies because that's just the way it is. So we need to see these. We need to be encouraged. Some need to be warned. We all need to be hopeful. What is God's plan for his church? He's going to clean her up, wash her up, put her in her city and get her ready for a wedding day. I find that very encouraging. And he's even going to have angels standing in amazement of his work. Secondly, let us look with wonder on God's holy city. If you go back and look as he begins to describe this holy city, there's a lot of gates. There's, there's 12 gates, and these 12 gates have the 12 tribes of Israel on it, and there's 12 foundations, and they have the apostles' names written on them. I believe this is a very rich passage that deserves to be set down in for a while, and if you're going to life together this week, chase this out a little bit. Chase out these 12 names of these 12 apostles. Let me give you just a little bit of a Sunday night hint. Consider this passage from Ephesians 2. 
So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Read the yellow with me. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the what, church? Now, you ask the average person, what is the church founded on? And the average person would say Christ. And while they're not wrong, if we say, particularly what is the foundation? What does Ephesians 2 tell us the foundation is? Those who unfold the thus saith the Lord. Right? They are founded on the cornerstone, and the church is founded on them. So it's no wonder then, when we see New Jerusalem, there are 12 foundations. And God names each foundation, one on top of the other, after the 12 apostles. Now, someone's already thinking, was Judas one of them? Make it to heaven, and you can have that argument with, the, with them. I think it's going to be Matthias, but uh, whatever, dude. I know what the Bible says. Now, why do I want to bring this out? I'll tell you why this is tantalizing, right? What is the church being built on? The apostles, the doctrine of the apostles, the doctrine of the prophets. I want to tell you something. The reason preachers get so hype when people depart from the apostles' doctrine is because they're departing from the building of God. And it's amazing to me that what he is building will also be reflected in that New Jerusalem. It's dangerous to depart from this doctrine. It's very likely that departing from the doctrine of what he's building his church on will be departing in the household of his eternal family. This is a lot thicker and deeper and more beautiful than we have time to unfold, but I pray your spiritual whistle has been wetted enough for you to do a little tooting yourself. Get in the scriptures and look at it. This is important stuff. And this angel came, comes and shows John. John's caught up in the spirit, and he, he sees this city, and this city is just flat-out amazing. And it's built carefully, and, it's, and it represents all of God's work with God's people across the ages. The Israelites, and the church, the prophets, the apostles, the oracles that God has given us will be reflected in the gift God will give us in eternity. Thirdly, I want you to get some perspective about the dimensions of this city. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but it's 12,000 stadia. Now, you can, you can go look this up and... And some Bibles talk about sort of the Greek furlong and uh, the other, or the English furlong, excuse me. And some talk about the Greek stadia. And there's actually a difference. There's, a, there's about a there's about a thousand mile difference. Well, we're not going to argue that. Uh, excuse me, a hundred mile difference. They're, they're either fourteen or fifteen hundred miles. Okay, amen. Say amen. All right, you don't want to walk 1,400 miles. You don't want to walk 1,500 miles. Okay, you don't want to walk 100 miles between the difference. Amen. But I, I wanted to kind of give you guys a picture of this and just trying to, because uh, some people say, man, you know, it's just this one city is, you know, is that the heavenly city? Well, 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 just think about it. Okay, I want you to consider that if you were to start walking in a straight line from where you are seated right, seated right now, if you were to get up and go, about 1,400 miles, you would wind up in Clayton, New Mexico. Show us that on the map, Grace. That's America. Everybody say America. All right, now, 1,400 miles. Okay, I'll see y'all there tomorrow. Clay, New Mexico, okay? So the city limits are each side of this city. If we just go with the 1,400 deal, let's don't get hung up on that. But in Jesus' name, don't ask me questions about that later. 
It's 14 or 1,500 miles. Okay. Now, if you would go down to Louisiana, and you would go up to Thunder Bay, Ontario, okay? Show us that on the map, Grace. Okay? That's about 1,400 by about 1,400, roughly. Now, let's make a box. <laughs> Y'all see that? Y'all missed me, didn't you? Okay. Now, okay. Tokyo, excuse me, all of Japan would fit in the corner of the corner of the bottom right corner. All of Japan, largest city in the world, Tokyo, roughly 40 million people, right? 40 million people. Uh, all of Japan would fit in that bottom corner. There's some perspective. Or maybe we need to see this maybe in terms of Israel. Okay, show us Israel. Okay? See, Israel's your far, well, your far right, my far left. You see that? Okay, that goes all the way over the somewhere to another Iran. I wrote it down, but I still don't know how to pronounce it. It's over yonder Iran. That's the official name, over yonder, comma, Iran. Hemoran or something like that. I couldn't lie. I kept looking at it. I said, did it say hemorrhoids? Hemorrhoids, Iran? That sounds about right. They're a pain in the butt. And look how far it goes. It goes up there past, you know, into the Black Sea, and it goes almost down to Yemen. That's wild, right? Uh, now, back, back up one, Grace. Do you see how much of America that would be? How much of Canada down into Mexico? That's wild, right? All right, let me give you the wildest part. Give us two frames, Grace. One more. Also says it's 1,400 miles high. Now, let me try to give you some perspective. Okay. The uh, satellites that work your GPS are about 100 miles up. Um... Space shuttles usually only go between 100 and 400 miles up. Uh, the International Space Station, you know, where people hang out and we're supposed to be so amazed that they're hanging out there. I'm like, I'm not amazed. I'm telling you the truth. It ain't now cookout up there. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's, it, it hovers between 200 and 250 miles off of Earth's surface. Okay. As a matter of fact, to even be in outer space, you have to go straight up 62 miles. Okay. We're talking about a city 1,400 miles high. God going to give me the apartment up, up on the top and the elevator going to break down. I feel it coming. He's going to say, I, I, it's time for you to get what's coming to you, big boy. The, uh, the weather satellites, the ones that we all look at, they, they, they range from 300 to 600 miles. Right? I'm just trying to give you some perspective. You look down from a normal camera from a weather satellite, and you can see most of the time at least two continents. What? Is this, you know what he's describing, you just read it, you're like, yeah, it's 1,400 stadia, and it's 1,400, and it's, it's just numbers, but could you imagine a city that goes from Roxborough to New Mexico, from New Orleans to Thunder Bay, and goes 1,400 miles up in the sky? Now, spy satellites, according to the interwebs, they hang out between 600 and 1,200 miles. I guess you have to also spy on the weather satellites. And then after that, things get really crazy. Like the moon is 238,000 miles away. I mean, I know somebody was wondering. What's my point? This is a real big city. Somebody say, hey, Tim, could you put this very important teaching into perspective? New Jerusalem is going to be real big. I'm talking real big. How big? Real big. 
I don't even like going to Durham. Put that in perspective, y'all. Roxborough's ain't got too big for me. Before long, it'll go from Bethel Hill to Durham County Line. I'm just driving me crazy. The city of God is amazing. Sometimes when you're reading stuff like this in the Bible, take time to map it out. You'll be amazed. Take time to look it up. It's really amazing. Wouldn't you agree that a city that covers most of the continental United States and goes 1,400 miles into the sky is pretty amazing? And the only way you can describe it is to name all the precious jewels in your vocabulary. That's wild. What a place heaven's going to be. There's enough. There's plenty more here, but seeing the time, I better, better go on. I want us to fourthly see this. The beauty of heaven almost defies description. I hope you guys noticed that. Did you? They named every kind of jewel, right? Jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, carnelian, onyx, chrysolite, on and on and on. You know, guys, you should just do this. If you bring your, your, your lovely lady a topaz and she says, I was hoping for a diamond, you say, hey, lady, heaven's made out of this stuff. Don't let her catch no attitude with you. What's this, agate for my anniversary? Hey, heaven's made out of this. Chill, lady. If it's good enough for God. I mean, come on. Now, but if, they, if you start doing that, you're going to say, hey, remember, God made a gate out of a single pearl. I'm just saying, if you're going to call down heaven, I want my pearls, boy. Twelve gates, twelve pearls. Each gate made out of a single pearl. It's just mind-boggling. It almost defies description. I think all of these words are important, and they're all worth looking into. And I think we don't have time to do it, but I think you should jot down. I really think you should jot down Exodus 28, 15 through 21. You, you know what's described there? The high priest's breastplate. All these stones are named. Why? Because the point of this precious dwelling place is not to get caught up in his precious stones, but to get caught up in his precious residence. The high priest would go in to see God, and he had just a little, maybe we could use computer language, you know, he had a thumbnail, a thumbnail of heaven on his, break, on his breast. Just a slight representation of what it's like to dwell with God, to go in and to represent the people, except here God invites us all in. It's no wonder, it's no wonder the writer of Hebrews who people tell me we don't know who it is. It was Luke. Um, the writer of Hebrews said Abraham's journey could be described like this. Hebrews 11.10. He, he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham knew that he longed for something that was beyond what his eyes had taken in. Just this morning, I was out at Lee Bethel Baptist Church filling in for Pastor Dave Klein. And I preached on Psalm 11. And it's worth noting here. Psalm 11, uh, King David basically asked a question. It's a long question. Allow me a paraphrase. He says, hey, why do you tell me to hide from people who are trying to get me? Oh, and his second question, hey, 
why do you say to me, what will the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? Right? His answer was, I, I take refuge in God. When it comes to people who are trying to get me, I take refuge in God. When it comes to systems being torn apart right in front of me, I take refuge in God. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that Abraham was looking for a city that the finger of man couldn't touch because the finger of man didn't build it. Eternity is in your heart. Oh, precious Christian, eternity is in your heart. This heaven is yours. It's why we stay just slightly restless. It's why you people who have beautiful yards, God bless you. It's why you never quite get satisfied. There's something that's telling you to make it a little prettier. Right? Something in us says there's more. Why do you think we, we can't wait to see the bottom of the ocean? Why do you think we keep spending too much money, in my humble practical opinion, to go to places like Mars? And when we get to Mars, what will we want to do? We want to land on the sun, Mercury, or whatever's next. I don't know what's next. I don't care. Don't tell me about it after church. <laughs> I ain't got a good grip on this planet I'm on, you know. And if we ever get out to Pluto, we all want to go past Pluto, right? Am, am I making sense to anybody? It's something in us. Now suddenly we read what John the Revelator saw. We go, yeah. There's beauty here. But the most beautiful truth about this city is this simple. God is all in the New Jerusalem. That's the most beautiful thing about all of this. God is all. Preacher, where'd you get that? We don't need a temple. You know why? Because the temple will be God Almighty and the Lamb. And we won't need the sun for the daytime or the moon at night. You know why? Because we'll have God. And his glory will be our light. And his glory will shine all around. And God's glory will be as the noonday sun to us. Say, wait a minute. Is the new earth going to be round? How does that work? Get there and find out. It's an encompassing glory. The lamb will be our light. He will be our beauty. He will give us understanding, you know, because that's what light does. Light dispels ignorance and brings knowledge. Light brings joy. There's so much to be preached right here that I'm going to leave on the table for you to study later. I'm just trying to tell you that the greatest and most beautiful thing about heaven is it's where God is. Isn't that cool? I, I have, I have, I'm convinced, um, well, at least when it comes to me, when it comes to me, I have the most gracious wife in the world. I say when it comes to me because maybe if I go ask her coworkers, they perhaps they'd have a different answer. I don't know. My wife is gracious. And sometimes she'll go with me to do something for work just because she wants to be with me. You know how good that feels? Like I, I, I do want to see gates made out of one pearl. That's wild. I want to see a city made out of jewels. That's wild. I want to see streets that are gold that you can see through. That's wild. I want to see that one that died for me. I want to see God. There's also, there's also in this city 
There's this, there's this strange thing about access to the city. And I'm looking at my notes. I might have got the numbering wrong. Just go ahead and pre-forgive me. In, in this city, uh, the light, the nations will be allowed to come in this city. Did y'all know this? The, the kings will be allowed to bring their glory into this city. Kings of the earth. They'll be allowed to bring their glory in. Now, I would really like to take some time to unfold this. Let me just tease it just a little bit, right? During the millennium, we know that the moment Satan comes out of that hole after the millennium, we know that many nations will flock to him. Many commentators believe that what's being talked about right here in Revelation 21, verses 24 through 27, is that not all those nations will. Other commentators believe that all the good that any nation ever did was generated by God. God's behind the good. That's what the Apostle James says anyway. If there's any good, it comes from God. Let the church say amen. In other words, whether you believe the first one or the second one, the kings of the earth will be allowed to bring their, their glory in, their goodness in. Isn't that pretty cool? Isn't it pretty cool that you think whether you're a king or, in my case, a pauper, there'll be some good that you can bring into the city. See this dichotomy appearing again? The good will be allowed to be brought into the city. The glory that came from the good will be allowed to be brought into the city. What won't be allowed to be brought into the city? No one who does what is detestable or false. Who will be allowed in the city? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's so much to be unfolded here. Let me just say this. All the good will be allowed in the city. None of the bad. Sometimes you just need things to be put to us as simple as a child. And again, I might have gotten my numbering wrong. I'm looking here at my notes. But let me give you a, a, a last couple of thoughts here. In New Jerusalem, there's powerful beauty and blessing. And I don't want us to miss that. There's powerful beauty and blessing. I should be a seven up there, but that's okay. It's just Roman numerals. We're not Roman. Who cares? Powerful beauty and blessing. Now, I want you to see that because God's blessings are beautiful. God loves beauty. Now, you say, preacher, where are you getting this from? First, there's a river flowing from the throne of God. I just can't get over that. There's a river flowing from God's throne. Now, you could go search in the scriptures. One of the, one of the most happy topics in the scripture is water. One of the most fearful topics in the scriptures is the sea. So where do you get this water? This water is flowing from God. It's under control. It's tamed. It's a blessing. It's a river meant to supply. It is a river being controlled by God. You don't have to fear this. You can know that it's a blessing. So this angel, it tells us in Revelation 22, 1, an angel showed him the river, it's the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It's a pure river of water. It's a pure river of life. It makes me think of Psalm 46. Listen to these beautiful words. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns immediately started hearing Andrew Liggett's rendition of singing this song. It's just in my mind. Thank God he used Andrew to plant it there in that way. This river is meant to make glad the people of God. 
I'll never forget one time we were on a mission trip in Nicaragua, and we'd gone up into the very northwestern part of the country, and we were, we were fording this river. And uh, on our way down, uh, uh, I think uh, it was Care had, had, had twisted her ankle a little bit, and, and so we sat down be, beside the river, right? And Care was worried about these young people, and, but her ankle was hurting so bad she couldn't cross the river. And I said, well, let's just sit here and fret, I mean pray. And we watched all these young people go across this wide river, this flowing river, and care is fretting, right? But we look over, and there's a, a bunch of women who are standing in the river doing their laundry. And I just thought, what a remarkable difference. My wife is over here fretting for these children. These women, they're just standing in the river doing their laundry. One sees the river as something to be afraid of. The other sees the river as a blessing. Well, this river is all blessing. It flows from the throne of God right down the middle of the street, apparently. How do I know that? Because it goes through the middle of the street. It's what verse 2 tells us. And on the either side, the, the tree of life. Now, that ought to make you think of Genesis. I pray it does. The Bible begins in Genesis 3 with the tree of life. Man isn't allowed to eat of the tree of life after their sin. As a matter of fact, they're shut out of the garden. Well, guess what? God brings back the tree of life to, to Jerusalem. You know why? Because he's washed away our sins and we'll be able to eat of all the fruits of the tree of life. Don't call it a comeback. And it's going to yield fruit 12 months. Use the time language in a timeless place so that we people who think in time can get a vision of eternity, God will be fruitful through the ages for his people. It says the leaves will heal people. Why do the nations need healing? That's a good question. Right? There's also the sense here that it's not just healing from sickness, but healing in the what the what the what the grammar people call the aorist tense. In other words, these leaves will give health forever. In other words, the nations won't ever get sick again. Isn't that beautiful? Last time I got the sort of sick that makes you go to the doctors was 2014. I got an ear infection and um, wrestled with it all summer long. And well, guess what, baby? It's 2014. I've been wrestling with an ear infection for weeks. I've been on two rounds of uh, something, and it's, and it's coming back today. I can actually feel it, Right? So I love this notion, not that I can go to the drugstore, but that there is something preventative that I'll never need to go to the drugstore again. Now, I don't know what that is, but so far they hadn't prescribed me something that's that solved it. God's going to say to the nations, the leaves of this tree will mean you'll always be being healed and never be being sick. Isn't that cool? Heaven is wonderful. Last but not least, and very quickly, this, this, these verses tell us that in the barest minimum, the saints will have a very good life in heaven. <laughs> I wrestle, what do you say about this? In the barest minimum, you say, where do you get that? Look at verse 3. No longer will, be the, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They'll need no lamp, no sun. We know from other passages there'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. In the barest minimum, we'll have a life that could be called, 
very, very good. We'll live with God. We'll walk with God. God will be our light. God will be our sustenance. God will be the temple where we gather in. Jesus will be the bridegroom that we do life with. We'll be so marked with God that we won't ever be mistaken as anything but his people. There's an there's a old book by an English writer named Milton called Paradise Lost. Anybody familiar with Paradise Lost? Oh, man. Until about three hours ago, I had about five pages up here on the screen. God said, hey, idiot, just talk about it. I wanted to quote so much from it. You know why? Because I think Milton, poetically and expertly through literary form, nails the descriptions of what Paradise Lost is like. But Milton don't have a thing on John the Revelator because here we see paradise regained. As John ran out of words to describe heaven, I don't have the words to tell you how good it's going to be. What could I say in conclusion? This, don't miss this. Don't miss it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm a little suspicious when people invite me to things. Uh, I, I'm a nerd. I, I mean, I really am. My idea of a good time is watching a documentary. You know, you know th that makes the Motley Crue come out of me. I don't need nothing but a good time. What's that mean to you, Tim? Watch a documentary. Yes. Read a book. Yes. Look up words in dictionaries. Yes. So when someone says to me, come on over here, man. You'll have a good time. I'm like, hmm. I've been watching you. You do not know what a good time is. You do things like talk to people. Go out in public. Spend money. I don't trust you when you tell me this will be fun. Does anybody know what I mean besides me? Or you're probably the opposite person. Let's go read a book together. You go, shut your mouth. Michael Tug, that's what he thinks when I say read a book. He says, shut your dirty face. Right? Am I right, Michael? You see? Michael, like, let's go get all of our stuff and go play in the mud together. I'm like, have a nice time, Michael. You pig. Don't take my word for it. You saw the description of heaven. Don't miss this. It's better than human language you can describe. Say, so, Tim, sum up these verses for me. Okay, you ready? Heaven's real big. Heaven's real pretty. God is there, and you don't want to miss it. Don't miss this. Well, how can I be sure I won't? I'll go all the way back to John 6 when some people came to Jesus and, and he says, hey, do the work of God. They said, man, please, please tell us what is this work. We want to make sure we do it. We, we want to do the work of God. We, we want to know that we're okay. And he says, this is the work. Believe on the one he sent. Isn't that cool? This is your work. Believe on the one he sent. 
maybe lately, you Christians haven't been feeling very Christian-y. Anybody ever go through phases like that besides me? I know I do. I mean, just sometimes even your own thought life, you go, man, I'm not very Christian-y today. Okay, I'm the only one. Well, enjoy heaven. <laughs> All right, me and John. Thank you, John's like, I feel so sorry for Tim. I'll just say I'm a bad person too. Yeah. It's on those days that even the Christian heart needs to remember that I don't get to lay claim to these things because I'm a great person. I lay claims because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow, and he said, if I believe on him, I will not be cast out. If I bring my shame to him, if I bring my sorrow to him, if I bring my guilt to him. He says, listen, bring that old heavy yoke that's killing you. Bring it to me, and I'll trade you. My yoke is light. Jesus, tell me, what do I have to carry? Believe on me. That's what you have to carry. Even a Christian heart needs that word. I do. So tonight, you want to be guaranteed heaven, believe on Jesus. If heaven doesn't sound all that great to you, refresh your faith. <laughs> refresh your faith. Right? If nothing else, heaven's great to me because Jesus is there. I, I think it could be old wooden shack. That's why if you love church, you don't need a fancy building because it's not about the building. If you love Jesus, you don't need a fancy heaven. The cool thing is it's going to be a pretty fancy heaven. The most important thing is he's there. Have you made your peace with him? Tonight could be your night. What do you do? You submit your life to him. You confess you're a sinner in need of his grace. You say, I place my life and my eternity in your hands, I believe what Jesus did counts for me. The Bible says you'll be saved. Let's pray. Oh, God, I want to see heaven. Frankly, some days I'm not that tired of earth, but I want to see this thing you've promised me. And then some days I am absolutely sick of this mess, and I want to see this place but whether I stay here or go there, I want to see you in my life. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know the comfort of your affections. I want to know the peace of your forgiveness. I want to know the passion of living out your purpose. I want to know you, Lord Jesus. And I believe you have put that desire in the hearts of many. Pray, Father, whether it's the first day of submission to Jesus or the 15,000 day that we will experience just that fresh submission that delights in believing in you. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen.